to uh, the end of Heaven's Ten. We've been looking at the ten things, the ten words from Heaven that God gave us, saying, if you take these things, if you order your life around them, if you centre your life on these principles, then you will bring Heaven to earth. You will glimpse the way God intended life uh, to be. And we've been looking at them counting down from 10 to 1. And so we come to the last or the first word from heaven, which essentially is God. At the heart of the few words that are there encapsulated in that first command is just the thrust of the word God. No other gods. Why? Because there is no other God like Him. He alone is the one who makes sense of all the other commands. He is the main thing or the main person that pulls it all together. Murder is wrong because life is a gift from God. Lying is wrong because God is the God of truth. Adultery is wrong because God is always faithful. And so as we zero in on this first commandment, we're reminded that it's all about God who holds it all together. A woman bought a parrot because she wanted a pet that she could converse with. The day after she bought it, she went back to the pet shop And she said, it's no good, that parrot you sold me doesn't say a thing. Oh, don't worry, said the pet shop owner. What the parrot needs is a mirror. Your parrot will look in the mirror, it will liberate him a little bit, and he'll start to speak. She says, okay, I'll buy a mirror. Bought a mirror, went back home, put the mirror in the cage. Nothing. Went back the next day and said, the parrot still doesn't speak. I put the mirror in the cage, no liberation, nothing. He says, oh, what that parrot probably needs is not just a mirror, but a mirror and a ladder. So the parrot can walk up and down the ladder, free himself a little bit, look in the mirror, get all excited, and then he'll start to talk. Okay, and for a penny and for a pound, bought the ladder, went back home, put the ladder in the cage, uh, fixed it all up. The parrot duly walked up and down the ladder and indeed looked looked in the mirror, but nothing. So she went back the third time and she said, this is hopeless, you said that this parrot would talk. The shop owner was very convincing, said, I can promise you that this parrot talks. What you probably need in addition to the mirror and the swing and the ladder is a swing. You're kidding me. No, try it, swing. The parrot will be able to swing on the swing, walk up and down the ladder, look in the mirror, feel totally free and will start speaking. Went home, put the swing in. Went back the next day. Very sad. The parrot's dead. What? said the shop owner. What do you mean the parrot's dead? She said, yeah, I have no idea. How did that happen? I have no idea, said the owner. The shop owner, give him his due, is somewhat concerned and a little perplexed. What do you mean that parrot was very good and healthy? Did he say anything before he died? Yes, said the owner. He said, does your shop sell any food? It's very easy to forget the main thing. I've got my ladder and my swing and my mirror. 
I've got my commandments all lined up. I don't think I've murdered anyone. I'm trying not to lie. I've got it all lined up. But we can have it all there. But miss what really matters. And what God says at the beginning of these words from heaven, what really matters is me. I am not the thing, but the person that holds it all together. God is the main thing, the main deal, the one it is all about. Therefore, have no other gods before me or in competition. Keep the main thing the main thing. And we find it very easy to tick the boxes, perhaps, or not, about some of the commands. And God says, no, it's about me, the main thing. Do not murder because you're in relationship with me. Therefore, do not get angry, as Heather unpacked that commandment for us. Be faithful, not because you think it's a good idea or because you understand in your mind that life will work better if you do, because it will. But be faithful because God is faithful and you're living in Him and for Him. He is the main thing. Don't have all your life, all your cage, looking like it's got everything you need and miss the one thing that is absolutely essential for your survival. God. And why is He the main deal, the main thing? Because there is no other like Him. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. Therefore, you cannot compare me. Do not compare me with, a, with an equal. Do not measure me against someone else. I am the Holy One. I am the main thing, the main deal. I make sense of it all. And maybe you're here this morning and you're trying to make sense of your life. You're trying to find the thing that puts it all into perspective, that would hold it all together, that would give it all meaning and purpose. Here it is, at the beginning of heaven's ten, at our end, it's God. Apart from me, God. And so, I just want us to spend just a few moments making sure before we move on into Christmas next week, that we've got the main thing in the main place. Because, of course, the main thing is to keep the main thing. The main thing. Why is it that you cannot compare God? Why is it that we cannot substitute Him for something or someone else? Why is He beyond all equals? Why is He the main deal? Well, the verse that is just before these Ten Commandments helps us understand it, I think. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Think with me about the word God just for a moment. When we use the word God, we primarily, I think, uh, use it to refer to the person who created all this, who makes all of life possible, the one who gives us life and meaning. In popular culture, the question, is there a God, is synonymous with the question, was this world created or made in some way, or is it just all a very freak accident? When we think of God, one of the characteristics that rises quickly to the fore is this idea of Him being the Creator. 
And in these words, in this verse 2 of Exodus 20, I think the idea of God being the Creator was in mind because of Exodus verse 1, which says, and God spoke all these words. Now you have to remember who these uh, uh, words are being spoken to and written for, uh, a Jewish culture that had begun to understand the way that God had created the world. And if you read about the way God created the world at the beginning of, of Genesis, it talks all the time about God speaking the word in the world into being. God said, let there be light, and there was. God said, let there be an expanse of water, and there was. God said, let the land produce, and it did, and so on. So when he's talking about God speaking, they're immediately drawn in their minds to think of, this is the God who made it all. This is the God who made me, who makes it all possible, who's given us life. So have no other God, because there are no other gods like him, for no other God has created And if we do not have that as a main thing in our lives, we will struggle to make sense of it all. If we do not know both universally that God created the whole world and personally that God in some remarkable way created me, I will find it hard to make sense of who I am and why I'm here and what on earth I'm supposed to do. And maybe we just need to get back to the main God made us. We are part of His intentional creation. We're part of the way He made us to be. Did you know that even before the world was created, God had thought about you and chosen you? The Bible says He chose us in Jesus, in Christ, in Him, before the creation of the world. Before you were a twinkle in your mother's eye, before this world came into being, God knew you and loved you. God chose you. And if we're looking for meaning and purpose and significance for our lives, the main thing that holds it all together, we'll find it here. If God made me, what a difference that truth makes. And not just in a a sort of, God. well, God just made the world and he made everyone. The Bible makes it more personal and intimate than that. In the Psalms, we know about God being there when we were being made in our mother's womb. My frame, the psalmist wrote, was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God active in your creation, watching over you, welcoming you, making plans for you. And so we have to say together that whatever the circumstances of our conception and of our birth, if we were fortunate enough to have two parents that loved us, what a fantastic start that was. But maybe we didn't. Maybe we're aware that our, our, our coming had little human choice in it, or the circumstances were awkward and painful and difficult, we need to know that whatever else was going on, the God of heaven has made us, and he knows us, 
and he loves us. He was thrilled at your coming with the apple of his eye. And God was making plans. Making plans even while you were growing inside your mother's womb. Making, he was delighting over you. And, and no doubt there were other people making plans. Your, your parents were, were making plans for you. And as you grew up, you made some plans of your own. And somewhere, probably for most of us, between the plans that our parents had for us, the pressure of our peers, the push to get on that we created for ourselves, God's plans got lost somewhere. And I'm just calling us back. If that's you, if somehow in the midst of your life you think, I just lost this whole God making me, being the main thing, Him, uh, He having a plan for my life, then, then here today, just that gentle call to come back to that place where it all makes sense. We'll not make sense of life until the main thing becomes the main thing. Have no other gods because no other God has created you. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us. And we are His, His people, the sheep of His pasture. Do you know that? As you woke up this morning, was there something deep in your heart that held you tight because you knew whatever else was going on in life right now, God made you and you're for him and for his purpose and he knew you and he loved you and he knows you and he loves you still. But then there's another word in that verse just at the beginning of these ten commandments. I'm the Lord. Uh, Capital L-O-R-D. You'll know if you've hung around Burlington for a while that refers to God's name and we've talked about that at other times just over these last few weeks but the emphasis of the word Lord is about someone who is the ruler someone who is in charge have no other gods because no other God is in charge no other God rules and if you need that peace and security that you were designed to have that, that environment that enabled you to flourish where you knew that beyond everything all would be well, then you need to get back to this main thing. God made you, but he's also the God who's in charge, who, who rules over everything, that at the end of the day has it in his grasp. We live in rather uncertain times. I want to know who's in charge. I want to know when things are uncertain, who can I trust? And I think we're all like that. And so there was a, a shock on Thursday to hear of Woolworths being in trouble. What would you do on a Saturday without Woolworths? And then MFI and everyone kind of smirked to themselves, serves them right, customer service and what. But somehow the fact that two businesses that sell tat to English people was going through wobbles us just a little bit. And that's nothing compared to the uncertainty other people in our world live with day by day. When bombs are planted in hotels and neighbourhoods and whole cities are, are gripped with terror, we live in a world that's uncertain. At the end of the day, I want to know who's in charge. I want to know who can I trust. I wonder if you've got your Bible still open where Alice read to us from Isaiah 40. Page 724 if you've uh, closed them. Maybe you'd just like to flick them open again. Because that's the question 
that they were asking in that time, in that day, in that situation. You see, these people had been overrun by a great foreign power. They were in the grip of terror. And they were kind of going to themselves, wow, who can we trust? Is our God still in charge? Is He still big enough? Will He still come out on top? Page 724. And we read there lots of different ways the prophet Isaiah is saying to the people of the day, yes, our God is still in charge. So look at it with me. Perhaps if you've got it open with you. He is the Lord of the human rulers. Verse 6. All men are like grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. These people were looking out at the great terrifying might of the Babylonians. They're going, these guys are really powerful. And yet Isaiah says, get it into perspective. These guys look ever so powerful to you, but actually, compared to God, all men are like grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall. Just the breath of the Lord is so strong, so powerful, that they are pushed aside and they're gone. He's the Lord of human rulers. Secondly, verse, uh, moving on, uh, verse 12, he's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of creation. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward was with him and his recompense accompanies him. Uh, that's not verse 12. I thought it was strange. He who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand is verse 12. Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens. Who has held the dust of the earth in a bucket or weighed the mountains in a scale, the hills in a balance. You think this world is so big and to you it is, but get it into perspective. This is the world that God stretched like he would open a pair of curtains is the metaphor being used. Or, or uh, 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 it's just a, a bit of dust in a huge bucket compared to God. We think it's so vast, but in godly terms it's so small. So he's the Lord of uh, all peoples, human rulers, and Lord of creation. And he's building this case. Despite what you can see all around you, this is the God that you can trust. And we need to know that. That ultimately, our destiny is not in the hands of human rulers. The Barack Obamas, the Gordon Browns of our day. Or those who would bomb and terrorise. Or those global forces, economic and social, that come against our shores without us being able to do much, it might seem, about it. We are not subject to this creation that is so vast and so out of control, whatever scientists predict, because at the end of the day, there is a God who is bigger and greater. And so he goes on, my computer is frozen, which is why you can't see anything that's uh, on the screen. He's Lord of human history, verses 13 and 14. Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counsellor? 
It's like, who can tell God what to do? God knows history from the beginning to end. We spend our time studying history, and then we let history repeat itself. And Isaiah's going, get a grip. This guy is way above history. He knows the beginning from the end. You can trust him. He's the Lord of nations, verse 15. He's the Lord of religions, verse 16. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires. Lebanon would be where you would go to get your Christmas tree. Forests. More wood than you could ever imagine. And what Isaiah is saying is that all the wood in Lebanon, would, would, would you can light all the fires with that wood on the altar, but it still wouldn't be enough for this God. Because he's above all of that stuff. He's the Lord of religions. He's the Lord of competitors, verse 18 to 20. There's no one that you can compare God with. No image, no idol, no craftsman, no nothing. God's bigger than it all. Verse 22, he's bigger than the whole universe as well. And verse 26, he's bigger than the stars and the astral powers in whom the Babylonians that were causing them such human trouble were putting their trust. And he said, don't worry guys. These Babylonians that seem so powerful are putting their trust in the stars. The God that you worship is the one who put the stars in place and calls them by name. There we go. No other God like him. And I want to ask you this morning, where do you put your trust at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day when you get up in the morning? It's so easy to put our trust in things that seem so certain, but in recent days we've had examples of things that seem certain being far from certain. So easy to put our confidence in things that are that seem so certain and yet are here today and gone tomorrow. I like the grass of the field that fades and the Lord just breathes and they're gone. Babylonians came and they went. But the word of our God in Isaiah 40 is still standing. And that's why we're here. And so, who do you trust? As you try and make sense of your life, as you try and bring heaven to earth, as you try and think about these words from heaven, this order that you need to bring to your lives, in whom do you trust? Don't dumb it down to trust in the commands. Don't think, if I do this and I do that and I do that, all's okay. This first command is to lift our gaze to the main thing, the main deal, the main one. Trust in God. And finally, oh, one more verse. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. That's the point. The Babylonians are well gone. But the Lord is still here. And an economic crisis will come and go. And a situation in your life will come and go. But the Lord will still be there. He will always remain. In whom do you trust? Have no other gods, finally and lastly, because no other God has rescued us. Has rescued us. In the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, it's a story of God rescuing people out of slavery and bringing them to a new land. And it was an image of what God would do in greater measure in the New Testament when at Christmas we celebrate, he sends Jesus to rescue us from the slavery of making a mess of our lives. The Bible calls it the slavery of sin. The slavery of just doing our own thing. And, and we don't need to convince one another that going our own way and doing our own thing has been less than a great idea as we look at the world in which we live. And so we celebrate this Christmas the story of Jesus coming to rescue. And it's so different from each and every other religion 
that it's worth a mention just as we get into it starting next week and as we wind this up this morning. You see, religions are all essentially the same. And the mistake we make if we don't listen or look carefully is we think that Christianity is just another religion. It's easy in this world of noise to not quite hear and to misunderstand. Yesterday afternoon, we went for a walk as, uh, as a family, and uh, uh, it was getting dark and lame, walking back along uh, a busy road, so it was a bit difficult to hear what each other was saying, but the same misunderstanding would probably have happened anyway. We were talking about today, the fact that it was a baptism, more was getting baptised and lunch, and, and some of the other logistics of the things that we have to do as a family uh, during the rest of today. And uh, so we were talking about uh, the Raybone family and it'd be good to share lunch with them and, and, uh, and, and going on. Uh, and then the conversation moved on. And Evan, who's two, nearly three, who's on my shoulders, has obviously listened to this conversation about the Raybone family. Uh, and then you know you do as adults, you move on to something else. And he just says, in the midst of the conversation, what are rhinos? What are rhinos? So I'm a good dad. Rhinos? Oh, they're big, they're big animals from Africa. He seemed rather content with that for a moment. And the conversation wanders on, you're talking to the others and stuff. And his voice comes from my shoulder a little bit later. Why are the rhinos coming to church? <laughs> and suddenly it all clicked, the penny dropped. We'd had an amazing misunderstanding in our conversation about exactly which rhino, sorry, no offence, Moira, was being baptised. It's so easy in the noise not to quite get it. And in the noise, people go, Christianity, it's just one of all those others. But it isn't. It isn't one of all those others. Because what, what marks religion out is you trying to do something to rescue yourself. A religion has a set of rituals, things you need to obey, certain things you need to do, or certain things that you must not do, things that you should abstain from. And if you do that successfully enough, it is said that you will rescue yourself or save yourself or reach a higher spiritual pain or, or arrive at some new karma, whatever language is being used. But the guts of it is the same. What you do will determine where you end up. Christianity has never proclaimed that message. Christianity says, whatever you do, you will end up in the same place. The only way you can end up in a different place is for God himself to do something for you. And that's why Christmas is just so incredibly special. Because it's God saying, I'm doing something for you that you couldn't do for yourselves. And it's so different from a religion where I get to the end of the day and I go, have I done it enough? If I prayed that prayer one more time, would that have helped me get to this different place? No, none of that. I can't get to a different place. But God can do something for me. And if all we try and do in our lives is to strive to keep the commands, we'll have missed the heart that God wants to do something for you, to rescue you into a brand new life. And then those words are from heaven. 
our guidelines as to how to live in that new way. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will rescue, he will save his people from their sins. Christ died. That's how he would do it. Don't think just about the baby. Think about the man. He would live, that he would die. And in some incredible way in his death, do something for me that I could never do myself. It was his rescue. One hand stretched to heaven, one hand stretched to me as he died on the cross, that somehow, incredibly, he can do for me what I could never do for myself. And if you leave thinking that what God's asking is for you to do these ten things and all will be well, we've missed it. First and foremost, above all else, God says, I want to do something for you. I'm the God who brings you out. I'm the God who rescues you. And so all of these commands, they point to the God who creates, the God who rules, and above all, the God who rescues. Is this God the main thing, the main deal in your life? The one that gives everything else its meaning and its purpose? Let's pray.